0: Hello, co-workers. Chels here, and this is Experience, a Career Stories podcast. And today, you're going to be hearing an awesome interview between two awesome Claires. Our Claire is going to be interviewing Twitter sensation and writer extraordinaire Claire Willett. You've probably seen or reposted some of Claire Willett's tweets in the past. She tweets about everything from how the series Friends should have ended, and she's got quite a good argument, by the way, all the way up to amazing digestible bites of civil rights history and tips. Barack Obama follows this woman, okay? So you best listen up. As for me, I'm sorry I can't be a part of the interview today. I am on evacuation standby. We live in a tiny house in deep Sasquatch country out in Washington State, and that means right now we are in the path of a wildfire. Don't worry. We have a plan. We have cleared out our home. Things are packed. We have a place to go, and I have firefighting experience, so I'm watching this very closely. I think it's going to be okay. But until then, we're doing what we can to prepare the property and our homes for, I don't know, being devoured by a fire. It's on par for 2020. So enjoy listening to Claire and Claire. And we'll be back with a part two where I get to interview Claire Willett because I like her too. I want to interview her too. So enjoy this today and I will see you guys very, very soon.
1: the Claire's. Yes. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I never grew up with other people named Claire. I was always the only one in the classroom. So whenever I meet a fellow Claire, I'm like, yes.
2: (laughs) And you're one of the few that I feel like is my age. Like I I remember my mom getting really cranky because like when I was uh, thinking maybe, maybe like junior high, there was like, there were a couple other Families with younger kids at our school who had like younger daughters named Claire, and mom was like, "Oh, I see what you're doing. Like, <laughs> I brought this name back for the Catholic moms, and everyone else wants to steal it." Um, but like, yeah, I feel like it was like us and Claire Danes, and like no yep. other Claires in our generation.
1: Now, is Claire a family name for you, or?
2: No, it was a, uh. so, well, I mean, yes, in that there was a Laskowski family rules, so the mom side, the Catholic side, that everybody had to be named after saints. Um, oh, okay. And, like, first name, middle name. And so, Kat is Catherine Rose, and then Claire Elizabeth and Christopher Patrick Um, By the time Colin came around They were phoning it in a little bit Like I don't think there's a (laughs) St. Colin But by then they had like accidentally Committed so hard to the C Name thing that they were (laughs) like Well Colin sounds Irish So sure But um, So I think my mom had I think my mom had like A college friend who was named claire so i was going to be the so cat was going to be either Catherine or christopher and then i was going to be either claire or christopher um but i think that she was just she was picking like names of saints that she liked
1: i love it i actually was named after my grandmother who changed her oh. name legally to claire oh because her first her first name was originally after her mother gertrude who went by uh trudy and her last name was doll so it was trudy doll uh which is super cute and great but then being named gertrude in the 1940s was kind of like no yeah (laughs) i
2: so i I would change i feel like gertrude is a name that you shed as quickly as possible i yeah i honestly support that life choice
1: yeah so uh i'm named after my grandma claire and uh Obviously, we are giant Irish Catholic family as well, so there are four of us. But Mm. we don't all have C names. Sean got left out of that. He was almost (laughs) a um, God. What was it that my mom wanted to name him? And we all laughed really hard. Uh, It wasn't Aiden. It was something else. But like, we just all thought it was the funniest name, and it was something super beautiful and pretty. And no, God, what was it? I'll I'll think of it later and just scream it in the middle of the podcast and just start laughing. Um, but yeah, we we like mocked her over it and then like as adults we're like that's actually a really beautiful name. Good job, mom. Um, she's like I'm scarred. I can't come back from that. So. Um, anyways yeah good to bond over names though (laughs) well um diving in uh obviously chelsea is not here um like we were kind of discussing before the phone call uh she is in the middle of uh you know just the world being on fire including all around her house and she is having to evacuate so um that's great. Uh, you know, it's kind of just on brand for 2020. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but you guys are in the same area. Uh, I mean, general area within 50 miles. Uh, what's it like where you are right
2: now? It is... Um... It's Portland is not my part of Portland is not terrible. I mean, it's not good, but we are we're nowhere near an evacuation zone, which is good. But I and I so I had not left my house much since uh, since the fire started, but I had to go out yesterday to run some errands with my sister, and it was just you know I I was. I was only out in the air, I mean, like, mere minutes, you know, going to and from the car, and then, like, at my house, and then at the post office, and my lungs felt weird, like, the whole rest of the evening, just Ugh. from, like, breathing in the weird air, you know, the sky is yellow, the sun is red, everything sort of feels like it's on Mars, so it just, it has that sort of... um like it just it just feels really unsettling and and kind of alien and and creepy. but but we are at least safe. So our kind of emergency preparedness plan has involved, uh, you know, figuring out if my sister needs to come crash on my couch because we're in the same quarantine bubble so she can come stay with me if we need to open up her house to we have friends who live in uh like in salem and in milwaukee and in areas that are that are way more in the you know they're basically on the kind of yellow alert standby notice you know have a bag packed ready by the door if they have to evacuate and um so far nobody has has needed it but we've been trying to figure out um it's you know, totally it's, surreal. It is. And and I, you know, I remember I can't remember if it was two years ago or three years ago, the last really big wildfire year.
1: It was like I think it was two years ago because we were still there. And I remember yeah. or no, it was three years ago because it was just um the sky was very similar. It was like two days mm-hmm. of just like red skies. And I was like, this cannot be the new normal. I am not yeah. okay with
2: this. Yeah, it was so um it was, it was very surreal, and, and that's where I remember there was also um, near my house, uh, during the window where, like, all the fires were happening, but before the rain had come back, there was also a, a building fire over in northeast near where I live, like, maybe 15, 20 blocks away, like a... Uh, uh, tire yes. the tire place whatever. Yes. so I had oh. to evacuate I had to I go get a hotel that. room for the night because the street that I was on was sort of the limit of the so that was my first experience with getting like you know the government emergency alert text basically saying like pack a bag and get out of your house. The air quality is not breathable. So I so I spent the night at the Kennedy school because I had to get and that's like that's
1: like only a mile down the road from you. Yeah. Well and yeah.
2: my my street was like the dividing lens. Like I remember texting my dad being like, Okay, it says it stops here, like does that like you know, basically like how much should you chance it? And he was like, Well, You know, like, if you're sort of the edge of the boundary, it's kind of up to you. And then I kept getting texts, and then they basically were like, nope, everybody on this street has to clear up. So, like, at 10 o'clock at night, I had to just, like, throw some stuff in a bag and... And just like go, yeah. But the Kennedy School was far enough away that yeah. it was that they were in the clear from it. But it was because it was the confluence of you know like localized like rubber tire smoke because it was like a muffler place or something that had burned down. Yeah. Plus the fact that the air was already so terrible, just and there had been no rain yet. So it was yeah. just that's the thing that that worries me. This time is just that I think no we're, rain. I think we're like two weeks away from any kind of precipitation in the forecast. And that's the part that I remember was like, as soon as the rain came, then it was like, okay, like now we can breathe again. Like it didn't put the fires out, but it, it addressed the air issues in most of the other places that weren't in the red zone and it slowed the fires. Um, But now it just, it's like, like the places that are, that are moving from, Red to yellow and de-escalating, it isn't because the fires are stopping or they're putting them out. It's just the wind. It's just like the wind is slowing down, so they're not spreading as quickly. But, like, the air quality isn't clearing up.
1: Well, and we're we're going to start having the same problem that California had, you know, 15 years ago. And that they've had year over year is, you know, we have this very lush forest environment and the rains create enough vegetation that in the summer when it's this hot, it's like a tinderbox, you know, and we're just going to ha- keep on having sporadic fires as the temperatures rise.
2: Yeah. And the one of the things that I... That has, I, I've been, I've been anxious about wildfires, particularly in in California for a while, because one of the things that I remember reading earlier in the spring that was very alarming was, um, you know, when the pandemic hit. A lot of the places, particularly in, in California and in the West, where people actually already had stockpiles of N95 masks that they could use for COVID, it was because everybody had a wildfire stash. So everybody yeah. everybody has cleaned out the stashes that they keep on hand for wildfire smoke inhalation in the summer. Like, all that shit was gone in April. Yeah. So, so like actual, so like people who, who would ordinarily maybe have them now don't have them. And all of the things that you do to evacuate in a wildfire are made now exponentially more complicated by the fact that, you know, I mean, if you have to leave your house in the middle of the night and go sleep on a cot in a high school gymnasium three miles away to get out of the line of, you know of a burning forest line. Now you're in the problem of there's like 500 other people in, you know, I mean, it's just yeah. like, it's just feels, it just feels, it feels
0: truly apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah. Everything
2: makes everything else worse. So I, I feel lucky that I'm, you know, I'm not in any physical danger, you know, where I, where I am is safe from the fires and I have the ability to stay inside. But yeah, it's just, it's just a lot, man. It's just a lot.
1: Yeah. And I've been trying to reach out to anyone in uh, the Portland area that I know that can be mobile Mm -hmm. and just saying, you know, come out here (laughs) if you need to like get out of the area. We have the space. We have the room. It's why we got the house we did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, just get out if you can.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Being able to, I think having space to be able to like give people who are like on the run someplace to crash is like, a thing I'm really, like, I'm really grateful that my sister and I are able to do that if we need to, you know, same as you guys, just, like, but, yeah, it is, but it's hard to feel, like, you know, it's one of those things where the amount of, like, it feels overwhelming, and also the amount that, like, you as an individual can do about it in the moment is pretty minor, and that's also, you know, like, that's, that's hard, too.
1: (sighs) Well... On that happy note, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> we can uh, kind of do a hard pivot to, uh, mm-hmm. hey, how did we meet?
2: <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Let's, how- do meet <laughs> Let's do a meet cute here. Let's do a meet cute. So I, um, so you went to high school with my brother. And I don't think I knew you at all then. Um, So I actually didn't,
1: um, I mean, while I went to school with Chris, like, we weren't really close friends. We were more like, you know, pass each other in the halls. I was like, I was an art kid, so I was just like... You know, head down. Don't talk to anyone. Very introverted. Didn't really want to be at school. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, and, and he was a
2: football player, <laughs> and Chris was a football so. player. Yes, <laughs> uh, and and the the one true genuine extrovert in our family. Um, but uh, so I remember. So the first time I remember meeting you, and I I was trying the other day to think about how long ago it was, and it feels like it might have been like seven years, but like, there was a party, there was a party at my house, um, and, (gasps) yes, the white elephant one, I think, yes, I think it was the white elephant party, and Christopher had invited you and Matt, and I, I I think, so, so both of my brothers play, have, play, and have played role-playing games for a very long time, and so just, my sister and I just sort of were constantly used to them, like, always talking about, like, playing Dungeons and Dragons. And at one point I had expressed, like, a vague interest that that was something that I was interested in learning how to do. Although potentially, like, not with them because they play with a lot of, like, yeah. very seasoned, like, players. And I was like, I kind of want to just, like, you know, dick around and learn. Um, and then you were at the party and... And then Christopher said, hey, Claire, this is Claire, and you guys should talk to each other, because friend Claire was talking about starting an all-girls D&D group for beginners. Claire, my sister Claire, wants to learn how to play. You guys should talk. <laughs> um
1: I love and, how many Claire's were in that sentence. Yes, so
2: many <laughs> Claire's. <laughs> all the Claire's. Uh But yeah, so that so I think that was how we first met, and then um, and then for the first couple years, I remember we were playing maybe like once a month, and it started at all women until we relented and allowed some husbands to join. Um, yes, and you were the GM, and there was like four of us, and we would rotate at various different people's houses, and we were and we would do like like and like elaborate like culinary spread
1: yes uh, I think that's the thing I love most about uh playing d d with uh like-minded people mm-hmm. um because guys can be like this too but especially having a group of women the focus is so much more on the um, the actual event as opposed to the game.
2: Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's so fun. <laughs> we would do, like, yeah, like, these, re- like, really intense D&D mimosa brunches. Yeah. And, like, and there was always, like, fresh baked goods. Like, God, like, the food at your house was always, like, amazing. And uh, so, yeah, so we would and – then, and then after – so we did that for, like, a couple of years. And then we looped in um, – uh to we got had a couple of like husbands on regular rotation and then we brought in Wade the GM so you could actually be a player so you didn't have to GM anymore and then yes. we were playing at your house and you and I lived close enough together that um it was very easy for me to get to your place whereas before we had to truck out to the suburbs and stuff occasionally. But yeah, so yeah. I just I just have so many Wonderful memories of just, like, everybody sitting around your dining room table with, like, heaping plates of, like, you know, we're having pulled <laughs> pork tacos today. We're having, like, mimosa brunch today. We're making eggs benedict and, like, you know, and drinking rosé and, you know, And then getting all our the... little miniatures out yes, and yeah. rolling and, out the board. <laughs> and and Wade, uh, Wade, who was our GM, uh, was one of those GMs who really loves props. And so there yes. would always be, like, like cardboard and clay models of things or, like... Oh, my okay. God.
1: He's, like, a wizard with clay. Yes, it's yes. awesome.
2: Or, like, grab some candlesticks and, like, those are the trees now. Like, it was all very, like, like three-dimensional and, like, tactile, which I always really loved. Um, we do it online now, and it is also still fun, but it is... Uh, but I do miss watching him yes. like, you know, very quickly on the fly, like, you know, sculpt half a dozen snakes or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so, so we've been doing that for many, many years and, uh, and, and now that whole kind of cluster of players is like its own little, this own sort of friend group in my life, which is just really wonderful. But, uh, but yeah, but it all, it all really started over nerd games. (laughs) Yep.
1: I love it. It's, it brings me so much joy. And so this kind of leads into my next thing. Um, every time you, uh, you post something on Twitter and it goes viral and somebody (laughs) I know posts about it, I'm like, oh, that's my, um, that's one of my D&D players. That's, that's interesting. And they're like, wait, you know Claire Willett? And I'm like,
2: yeah, yeah. (laughs) She, she has
1: a really great character right now in our game. (laughs) It is I um, I, yeah, I hear people
2: all the time, like, texting me and messaging me and being like, oh, yeah, your tweets showed up in my, like, my sister and her, like, mom's Facebook group. We're like, isn't that the player <laughs> that you know? Or, like, someone's like, oh, my aunt found this on Instagram. And I'm just like, I don't know either, guys.
1: <laughs> so... So basically you didn't choose the Twitter life the Twitter life chose you and you're just rolling with it.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's essentially that's how it happened. I and and it all this is all really still somewhat recent. Like I I think yeah. um I it was I just got my little like notification I think maybe 3 days ago that it was my 12 year Twitter anniversary um and and for that whole time up through like I think it was probably I think it was like the summer of 2017 basically like I was just like a normal I was just like a normal person on Twitter with like I think I had maybe like I don't know like like 1500 followers and it was all people that i like actually knew you know like i'm following like barack obama and my friends from college and like Mm -hmm. people you know like things like that like just like a normal person who interacts with twitter in like a normal way and then um uh and then when i got more into fandom and i had a podcast um i had a separate fandom twitter just for like sort of to keep that so kind of contained um where I followed like writers of the show and and things like that and I also sometimes just like occasionally yelled about television and so it was (laughs) so it was the friends thread that was on that the incident the incident yeah um first blowing up that then finally I was like like and mostly I was just like this is really annoying that this is blowing up on my fandom Twitter because then like now I can't even like sell books <laughs> off this shit like no one's gonna know who I am, you know? so I was trying to be like, hey, I'm an actual human being who like talks about other things like over here on this Twitter. So good. so that was sort of where I got my first sort of like viral tweet bump. But like just because of like the way that the algorithm works, like the more that happens, the more it happens, you know. So oh like, yeah. Um. So then, so from then on, then it was like maybe like once or twice a year something would blow up and get a couple thousand likes and then I would get a bump of followers off of that and then and now it really feels like um like when you when you cross 10,000 Twitter followers like I've and I've talked to a number of people about this like like it's a uh, you feel the difference like you're yeah. the, the algorithm places you differently in people's feeds and so Things just, like... It's like every... Like, you sneeze and it gets traction. Um, Yeah. So then, from that point on, like, once you hit 10,000, it snowballs much more quickly. So I have, I think, like, 36,000 now. And 35,000, I also noticed, is another threshold where now... Like, it changes... I've had to change how I engage with the platform in some ways because, like... um, you know, I, like, sometimes I still feel like I'm just having a conversation with my friends. Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't necessarily mean for that to feel like an invitation for, like, every man in the world to explain to me <laughs> why oh, I'm man. wrong, you know? Um, yeah. But, uh, but it is, but it does tend to be, like, um, you know, threads. Like, I, I thread a lot. I, I have long, complicated thoughts that don't always necessarily fit into, one tweet and those are I think just algorithmically get a lot of traction but I also think I also think that something that I'm good at is sort of like absorbing through osmosis like things that a lot of people are feeling and thinking and then like distilling it down into words where people are like oh yes that is that's the thing that I was trying to say and couldn't articulate, and you said it. Like, I think that's just something that I'm good at, because it's kind of what I do for a that living. That was actually
1: something I was going to ask you, is as a platform and as a, a writer, do you, did you find Twitter to be a, a really, um, just a good fit for you? Or was it more over time you adapted to it, or it adapted to your style, you know?
2: I think it's a little of both. I, I do, I mean, I do think that something... You know, it's, it's one of those things where I think people, people who either don't spend a lot of time on Twitter or just aren't, aren't good at Twitter or don't enjoy it. um, That would be me. (laughs) Don't think of it as, (laughs) like, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of it as writing, but you know, it's the same way, like, like people who are really good at Instagram, for example, like, you don't have to be a famous person to be somebody who's like a really good and interesting photographer. Um, yeah. or somebody who has like good visual content like Instagram's a visual platform that' re- like that That's it a great rewards point towards visual creativity and and so the people who are good at Twitter tend to be people who are like good sharp funny writers who can kind of distill things down into a nugget I think I think I have benefited from um the, I think I'm better at the 240 character count than I was at the or 280 character count than I was at the 140. Yeah. Like I think I I need that little bit of extra cushion. Um but I but it is writing and yeah. uh, and if you're a person who is good at words, good at, at and at crafting a thought. You know, I mean, I think like like, I I, I had this conversation with so many people after, the Friends thread, but also other ones, um, where it's just like, you know, people are like, oh, I can't, I mean, like, I can't believe that, like, you know, that, like, so many people were interested in in reading, like, reading your thoughts on this platform as opposed to, like, a blog post or something, and I was sort of like, you know, like, like how to craft a Twitter thread, like, like, it, like, there's also it's also craft, you know, like, like knowing how to sort of like digest a bunch of different, like, you write, you just, I write differently when I'm writing for Twitter than than if yeah. I'm, you know, like in in my other creative writing, like I'm a very sort of long sentences, long paragraphs person, and so I think, and Twitter kind of forces you to be punchier, it forces you to get to the point more quickly, um, mm-hmm. it forces you to. You know, if you're making a thread or a list to kind of think intentionally about the order of your statements, and um, and so I think you know, I think it has been, I think it has been helpful just sort of in terms of sharpening and refining. I I think one of the things I think is a challenge about Twitter as a writing medium is that you know you you. Like, if you're trying to, for example, sort of, like, express a complex thought that requires several tweets to get it out, you know, you can't control which one random tweet from the middle of that thread somebody else is going to retweet out of context. Like, that's your whole argument, you know. So 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 one of the things that is great on me is when people will will reply and be like, um. Actually, you can't uh, say blah 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 because this and this and this. And I'm like, did you see that this was a threat? Like, did you like? Yeah. If you if you if you scroll down one tweet. That was addressed, you know, but it's like, but, but it is a reactive medium. People are just yeah. like respond immediately, you know?
1: Well, and I think that's one of the things that keeps me off of it. Cause I, I enjoy the content, but I don't want to interact at all because you see how people treat each other on it. Yeah, And sometimes it's really great and supportive, but so much of it is so negative and so reactive. How, how have you been able to cope with that?
2: Um, it's, there are times where it's really difficult. I think for me, so so as a as a woman, particularly like as a fat woman, as a queer woman, but just as a woman, just in general, um, you know, in many ways, everything like if your person is not on Twitter, everything that you've heard about how awful it is to be a woman on Twitter is true. Um, yeah, I have gotten pretty good at using my filters, so uh, a lot of the most really egregious harassment and toxicity doesn't come into my mentions, but it is still there, and I still sometimes see it accidentally, and also sometimes I just sort of masochistically go looking for it, but... Um, I mean, that you're all of us there. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> yes. this is, like, it's yeah. hard to not, you know. Um. So, you know, the, uh, muting a thread and then secretly going back to check in on it and being like, oh, yep, that one, that Nope, one, it went exactly the way yeah, it was gonna. <laughs> that guy's still going, you know, but... um, But so I think, for me, the challenge... The challenge is sort of twofold one is that you know it it really is true that in some ways the worst thing that you can possibly do is allow the person who is trolling or bullying or harassing you especially if you are a woman and he is a man to know that they've wounded you in any way and so there is this kind of yeah what feels to me like a like a the sort of necessity of a kind of like performative thick skin that I don't really have as a person but you but it's sort of a survival mechanism you know so if somebody is like you know like I get called fat all the time all the time constantly constantly which
1: it's like I always think of the um, the Cyrano thing where he's like, "Really, my nose? Like, that's what you're gonna right, go for?" There's right. so much more creative stuff out there. It just shows like how uncreative you are.
2: Right. And and what's and what's always what I always find sort of fascinating about it, just sort of like anthropologically, is that it's like, I mean, like the reason that you know that is because I put my own face on Twitter. Like my that is my yeah. actual human face. And so having having men whose profile picture is like. A Rick and Morty cartoon
1: oh right or, or an yes. egg
2: or something be, yes. so like, well, like it like it's definitely true that I am a fat woman and and it's possible that like maybe you don't want to have sex with me and you think that invalidates my opinion about Obama or whatever but at least I'm brave enough to be like this is my like I'm secure enough in how I look that I will put my real face on Twitter which you are not, but you're still like but you're still entitled to sort of sit in judgment of me. And and that is something that is really ugly and uncomfortable, is like just sort of this reality of how many men on the internet believe that, you know, a woman's fuckability should determine her right to have opinions on anything. And it's worse when you're in male dominated areas, like if you're talking about Star Trek or comics or comedy or science or things like that. You know, I have friends who are writers in all those areas and it's very, very ugly. But it also just sort of happens to everyone. I think the worst I've gotten recently actually (laughs) came from a, a, I accidentally kicked over a hornet's nest of trad catholics like the really hardcore (gasps) right-wing catholics you like the awful they're horrible they're horrible and and so i'm related
1: to some oh god i'm so sorry i think i told you about it at one time yes yes but yeah we can (laughs) that's a rabbit hole we do not have to go down
2: (laughs) yeah but um so so discovering that there are like you know, like, these, it's all these, like, trad men who is, And it's all, like, incel behavior It's, like, the same language and the same Whatever, yep. and you just think, like It certainly is interesting And it says a lot about men on the internet And, and male internet culture That In a religion that's supposed to be You know, like like you You guys are supposed to be, like, the chastity people Like, you're the hardcore right-wing morality police Catholics And you're still, like you know, you're fat and ugly and nobody wants to fuck you. And it's like, well, that that feels like the fact that you're still motivated by that. The fact that that's still how you're assessing yeah. all women. Like, that's still what the value of women is to you. Feels a yeah. little bit like maybe you should rethink the Lady of Guadalupe meme in your Twitter profile picture. Oh my god.
1: Or also, hey, heavy-handed insult at God there cuz he uh, created me. Um uh, but thanks for that. Right. Like And there's that. Yeah.
2: So there's <laughs> just so it's all, you know, so so that that one was like I think it's cuz it was it was so unexpected and and that I like I kept getting retweeted. I think I had to block like 600 people that day because I oh, kept Jesus. getting retweeted and then somebody else would re- So it was just sort of like like sometimes something just pops and you're just playing whack-a-mole trying to just shut it down so you can like get your life back and and it's not just you know it's
0: not just in your replies people are sending you direct messages things like that um and so- i was actually gonna ask like how much time do you spend on twitter on a I mean,
1: <laughs> daily weekly okay. basis because um, it feels like it's kind of just this time loop that you get lost in sometimes but um it's yeah.
2: Go yeah, ahead. Sorry. It's so yeah. It's I mean it's it is, it's it's a. I mean the short answer I think is 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 too much. I. It's um, a lifestyle choice. <laughs> it is,
0: yeah. It. Is, but it's also
2: and it's also you know I think like I, so at the beginning of quarantine like I I gave up I was or I was going to give up Twitter for Lent, um, and uh, and we were like I think three weeks like, two or three weeks into. Lent when the shelter at home restrictions hit and we couldn't go anywhere, and I couldn't, and I live alone and I couldn't see my friends and family. And I was like, you know, like I, I can't, I actually can't do this. Like I, I, I have to be able to like talk to people, you know. Um, but I was on furlough for a really long stretch, and so I just, my, My sort of memory of the whole sort of middle of, you know, three months or whatever of quarantine is just like being on Twitter all day, you know, like just feeling like everything, like every day is sort of blurring into the next and just kind of. Yeah, you know doom scrolling, and which I which I acknowledge is not healthy. So my my sister hates Twitter. She does not like. It. She doesn't use it herself. She doesn't like that I'm on it. Um, she gets very annoyed and amused when I tweet about her. Like she always wants to know what I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying about her on Twitter. Um, but uh, but we've had a lot of interesting conversations about just sort of like, you know the. Like, the things about it that are, that I think have been really wonderful and positive and great in my life, which I am always sort of trying to explain to her, and and her extremely valid concerns about the ways that it both sort of flattens discourse and also becomes kind of a a pit that, like, once you're in it, it's hard to get out of it. Um, and yeah. you, you do sort of like lose that sense of time. So I am trying to like I've been trying over the past couple of months to work on um, on being better about not not checking Twitter first thing when I wake up or right before I go to bed. Um, because it is a terrible way to set the tone for the day, and a terrible way to yeah. try and fall asleep. Um, if that's a struggle. And I think that's, that's good a goal. for like
1: most social media too. Like just yeah. not having that be your
2: first and last thing you do every day. Yeah, which is hard. Yeah, Cat has the same kind of relationship. I think with like she has a lot of similar challenges with Facebook, which she uses more often, and and just yeah the the way that the way that it's sort of you know gets your brain into a spiral that's hard to turn off as you're trying to fall asleep. So yeah. trying to, like, read a book or something instead and, like, you know, ease out of screen time and things like that. But, yeah, it is – it's a strange and complicated world. Yeah.
1: So um, outside of Twitter, what's your full-time
2: job? <laughs> <laughs> um, my full-time job is an aggregate of several – smaller jobs. So basically, so the way, um, I am, I am a grant, I'm a grant writer. I'm a freelance contract grant writer, uh, with currently three clients, which adds up to somewhat less than a normal full-time job. Um, Mm -hmm. I spent most of my career in nonprofits working like full-time salaried kinds of positions and then in 2014 I moved to going full-time freelance uh, the first couple of years I was mostly just kind of scrapping and doing like a bunch 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 of smaller jobs and since 20 I think 2018 um yeah it' was 2018. Um, I my biggest client right now is a Portland nonprofit called Free Geek. They're uh, an electronics recycler, and they do digital inclusion, digital access work. Um, and I've been their grant writer since twenty eighteen, and so that was my that was my biggest contract gig. Like where I actually before the pandemic, like would actually go into their office two to three days a week and actually work, um, which was really nice because. Uh, not having coworkers is one of the real headaches of, of freelance yeah. work that you just sort of do from your home. So I, that's something that I have really, really, really missed. I haven't been back there since February. Um, but yeah, so I have. You, go ahead. Oh, I, you can finish your thought. We'll oh yeah, um, circle back to. Uh, yeah, so I haven't. I haven't been back there since uh, since February. But so they're my biggest client, and then I have. Um, I'm also working for an organization called uh, Metro East Community Media, which is based in Gresham. Um, And they do independent media production. They have six cable channels and they also do tons of streaming content and work with independent creatives to, they have like a equipment library and workshops and classes and things like that to sort of teach people how to use and create their own media. and then I also work for the Portland Actors Conservatory, which is a um an accredited acting school in Portland that's been around for like thirty years. And they're probably I think they're my longest running consistent client. and uh, well, and, and also a very favorite. close to you personally, right? Yes, because yeah my they're my only arts client now. my my background is in theater, and that's that's both like sort of who I am creatively and also how I started. In the nonprofit world, so mm-hmm. initially, like when I first started out, most of my clients were arts organizations and were largely other theaters, um, and uh, and 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 now, you know, the the more steady work has turned out to be more in um, in education kinds of realms. So yeah, so PAC is my only theater client left so it's my sort of like one foot in like holding on to like (laughs) that sort of like that other side of myself like I like to always have at least one
1: Mm -hmm. and so since you work from home do you find the balance of work and being at home to be difficult like basically planning out your days I'm kind of ADD and it's really hard for me to focus and uh I need that kind of corporate culture every once in a while to like Mm -hmm. stay on task do you how do how are you able to work from home and be productive I guess
2: um right now it's really hard in in the in the before times when I sort of had some semblance of structure I usually had like you know Mondays as a kind of Like, Mondays I worked from home, that was sort of like a catch-all, smaller tasks and projects day. Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I would go into the free gig office. Um, Thursdays, I usually worked for Metro East. And then um, Fridays were also sort of like another kind of catch-all day. And, And so having at least like a little bit of a rhythm and a couple of days where I had to actually, you know, be at a certain place at a certain time helped me maintain some kind of structure in the rest of the week. Um, mm-hmm. and it has really, it has really, really been a struggle for me sort of managing all that in, in quarantine. Um, I also, my, my sister has ADHD and we think that I do too. I'm going in to get tested, but haven't yet, but, but my brain responds very much in, in the same ways that, that her says to things. And, um, so, so like, I don't, I don't have, a brain that is really good, just sort of intuitively at managing a hundred things, sort of all happening at the same time, and so trying to figure out, you know, now that everything is from home, which means everything is on like this one computer, you know, like everything yeah. has to be on this one calendar. Um, I I've been really struggling, sort of trying to figure out how to implement kind of tools for myself to. You know, like, I've, I, I've never had to integrate my meetings calendar from this client and that client, you know? Like, I've never mm-hmm. had to uh, figure out how to kind of, you know, like, I have, you know, these files that, like, lived on my other computer that, like, I have to sort of, like, I have to reorganize this, you know, this computer so that it is sort of organized in the same way as that So it's just, like, a lot of, little, like, little dumb stuff like that that really grates on me. Um, but so, uh, yeah, I've been... And I also think part of it, one of the things that I've been working on over the, really like the last couple of weeks is, I think one of the things that was creating a real challenge for me was that in some ways, it was like, I think a resistance maybe to fully embracing the fact that like, this is how we live now and we're going to be here for a yes. while. So Oh my God, yes. So I've been like, you know, like working on the couch and you know, taking lots of breaks and, or, you know, like, like just like having, like having a hard time doing like deep work, having a hard time getting my brain into the kind of concentration mode that was much easier for me, you know, in an office. And I think part of it was because it was like my brain on some level was looking at this whole quarantine like it was like one long nine month Saturday where you have a little bit of work to do you know so like like it's all like you have stuff to do but you're not really like in work mode but you're like well I can kind of tinker with this and yeah and so I really had to sort of like force myself to be like you know okay for the foreseeable future like for as far out as anybody can project right now you know this is how we live, and this is the this is also your workplace and you know and and we need to like build some systems, so I like you know got a desk, I have a guest room um that has a pull-out couch in it that I don't keep much other furniture in because the pull-out couch is a queen and takes up, like, the whole entire room. So I had to kind of lean mm-hmm. into, like, you're not going to be having overnight guests for a while. Like, that's your office. You know, turn it into an I, office. Yeah, I actually saw your
1: office remodel on I yes. think, Instagram. And uh, it looks awesome, by the way. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, but, yeah, I figured that was probably a step kind of mentally that you have to take Mm -hmm. where it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is the new normal, like you were saying. And in order to develop those habits and be not necessarily productive, but happy in your workplace Mm -hmm. um, so that you can get your work done. That's so necessary.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think, so I think that like, that has already helped um, just having a space I can go where like I go in here, I sit down, I close the door, you know, this is the space where I, do work um, has helped a lot. I think um, just in terms of, of feeling trying to sort of recreate for myself a little bit of that structure and stability that my brain really needs, but it is still, you know, it really is still a challenge. I just really work differently from home than I do when I'm at an office. Like my brain is, I worked in offices my whole life. So my brain is just conditioned that like, When we arrive at this building and sit down at this desk, we do this certain kind of work. And so it's just much easier for me to, like, go into deep concentration and and be really, you know, productive. And and I think I'm a better writer. Um,
0: So it feels
1: like there's this odd accountability when you're in a space that's not your own. Yeah. You owe yourself the time to invest in that or, um, you know, you're you're leasing this space in someone else's mm-hmm. space, so you have to mm-hmm. follow the rules to an extent. Yeah, um, my, I, I absolutely know that feeling.
2: <laughs> my, my brain does not really receive. Claire imposed deadlines As real yeah. deadlines Like there oh. always has to be a little bit Of a fear that either like Someone's gonna be mad at me Or there's a deadline that comes from an exterior Like I feel like I, I do better With like exterior accountability Like I mm-hmm. I can't be my own Accountability police so, so having a workplace Where I was like sitting next to my boss And I had a schedule And everyone knew when I was you know In every single day like that you know, even, even though that was only like two days a week, but that sort of gave me the kind of, you know, structure that I needed to be able to sort of do that, you know, in, in the rest of my work and life. And, um, so yeah, but I, and I think, and now it's all just kind of become like, you know, a whole year of this sort of weird gray soup that I think all of us are living in where everything is sort of mushed together and we're all trying to kind of pull the pieces apart. So, so trying to figure out like ways to, replicate external accountability replicate some kind of structure but that's still very much like a process that I'm still figuring out like I'm I am I am not there yet like I think the people who manage to go out and buy themselves office chairs and set up their printers and get all set up in April and have been just cruising along since then. Like I am, I am, they're aliens and I don't understand. I'm a little them. afraid of them. <laughs> like I, I am, I, I look at them with awe and respect and terror. Cause I just, I don't, I don't have that kind of brain. Well,
1: one thing that I know I'm going to be doing um, at the end of this conversation is making little signs um, on our doors that go out of our house that say, entering the weird gray soup of 2020.
2: <laughs> so
1: maybe I can do an Etsy shop and yes. also have a live, laugh, love one with a <laughs> soup. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, outside of, God, it's... Twitter writer, grant writing, um, D&D player, uh, what do you have right now that you are super excited about, um,
2: that has nothing to do with work? God, um, what has nothing to do with work? Well, um, uh, this is it, so this is, I mean, this is a small thing, but, um, my, uh, so my girlfriend lives in England, and that has been a real bummer and challenge for us, just because we've had... Two trips this year canceled because of the pandemic. Ugh, um, yeah. I was supposed to go out there in uh the spring for Easter to meet her family, and then we were going to be we were going to go to Star Trek Las Vegas in August, which we didn't get a chance to do. Um, so that sucked. So, so, and and you know, I'm trying to find like girlfriend time when we're like eight hours apart has been a challenge. So, we started this week, um, yes, on on Tuesday nights, which is my um, like one of my nights off and and it's Wednesday morning for her and Wednesday is her day off from work. Um, we are binge watching all of the X-Files from the beginning, which is her favorite show of all time. Oh, my God. Um, so lo- we now okay, have so like...
1: I love that X-Files is coming up for the second week in a row now.
0: Um, oh, really? On this podcast. <laughs> yeah.
1: Last, last week, I just posted the episode, but it's... Um, we were talking about the episode home because we went to a wedding that um that was my reaction about half an hour into the wedding is that like we were in the x-files episode home so so if you haven't gotten there yet i'm not gonna ruin anything for you when you see it you will be like dear god claire why did you not leave that wedding (laughs)
2: so okay so here's so here's all i know about so i i've I know I have seen various X Files episodes over the years. I have no memories really concretely of any of them, um, but the only thing that I know about Home is that when I was tweeting about this the other day, that Allison are watching this. Um, She said that Home is the only episode of the X-Files that she has only ever watched once because once was enough. She's seen the rest of them like yep. seven times. Um, yep. So that's the only one that I feel like I actually have clocked the name of because Alice was so scared <laughs> she wouldn't well, watch it again. <laughs> and
1: I don't know, Alice probably knows this, but like it was an episode that was so... um. It was so controversial they they don't air the reruns of it on regular TV. Like really? they'll do every other episode. Yeah, um, but that one was so disturbing and so many people called in to be like, "This is not okay," that uh, oh they God. don't air it on television anymore.
2: Whoa. Um,
1: yeah. Whoa. So you have that to look forward to. Yeah. Also, the OCD vampire episode is my favorite one. <laughs>
0: It's so.
2: I, the the part of this deal that I feel that I did not think through is that we're um, not think through, but just was there's a real imbalance in terms of how we're both consuming it is that when it is 7 a.m. for her and she's just sitting there drinking her coffee in her pajamas, it's 11 o'clock at night for me. So I'm the <laughs> one who is like watching who's never seen most of these before and is watching them all right before bed. <laughs> So um so that's, and how, that's hopefully drinking and
1: like yes. just getting more and more flastered as yeah. she's like waking up. Yeah, so that's how much I
2: love her that I'm willing to like for the next and, I mean there's like two hundred something episodes, so we're gonna be at this for like a year and a half. Oh yeah. But yeah. um but yeah, so that so that's been fun. Um and then I am um uh I think I told you about I I have I'm working on a theater project that I don't know how much I can say about it yet except that it is um that I haven't gotten to be a playwright in a really long time and that's super exciting starting on something from scratch um yeah. and that I am writing a play that is about Instagram witches and is uh, a collection of short scenes that are each inspired by a different tarot card um i've become kind of a tarot nerd junkie over the past couple of years um i i'm like i'm sort of rebranding as a witch i guess i have like i love it you know like three different tarot apps on my phone and two different tarot decks and all this astrology shit and plants and crystals and stuff like now i'm a crystal weirdo but um, <laughs> it's okay. So, uh, so yeah. So, but there's a um, there's an awesome lady named Jessica Dore. Who, if you don't follow her on Instagram, you totally should. She has a Twitter too, but Instagram she does it now. much more deep stuff. But uh, D O R E, and she's I think she's like a clinical psychologist, and she uses tarot like sort of as a way, like as a tool for kind of um, like to help human beings understand ourselves. Like there's sort of like all these kind of ancient archetypes of like human relationships and behavior. And so, so like you don't necessarily have to be a person who like imbues them with a particularly like religious or spiritual significance in order to sort of be like, you know, something that the nine of swords or the hierophant or the hanged man represents in our lives or sort of what these symbols are of is kind of like sort of gives you a sort of like, you know, therapeutic trauma informed kind of way to be like, Oh, this represents like, you know, a way to like, let this go in my life or whatever. So she's fascinating. So she, so I'm, I'm really into her. Um, So, and uh, yeah, actually, for for movie night last
1: night um debbie and i were talking about tarot and for listeners debbie is one of our D D people and yes. we also do a movie night once a week which you will be part of at some point yes um but we watched dracula untold last night and it was as bad as i hoped it would be and so <laughs> great um but as we're sitting there i get an instagram pop-up for a tarot card deck to support and i'm gonna send it to you because um it's a kickstarter program <laughs> And it's the Hieronymus Bosch tarot deck. Oh my God. And and as soon as you said tarot, I'm like, what is reading my mind right now? That, like, (laughs) I haven't talked about tarot in like three years. And out of nowhere, over 24 hours, I get a prompt to support this deck. Debbie's like, "Oh yeah, no, I do tarot too. So you two need to meet up." Oh, I didn't know um,
2: Debbie's Okay, we got oh, yeah. to Yeah. No,
1: she's way into it. Um not like like what you were saying where it's mm-hmm. like it takes aspects of your life that are already there and kind of shines mm-hmm. a light and mm-hmm. focus on them. Yeah. And it, yeah, so sorry to interrupt you on that. Um but No, I love I, that. I, yes. Same I again, that. I'm kind of ADD and if I don't say something right when I think of it, it
2: is gone. Yeah. It is out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I um I just ordered and again I I'm from Instagram I'm extremely vulnerable to Instagram ads but I um, <laughs> same here I just ordered a deck um I think like a week ago that is made by I believe a Japanese artist and and every tarot card is a different um a figure from from like myth or legend or religion from like all over the world so oh, cool. there's like like Norse gods and like Chinese fairy tale characters and Beauty and the Beast and, uh, like, and, like, African mythology and all this really, really cool stuff. So, the, like, the art is gorgeous. Um, That's so
0: cool. And, but
2: it's also, like, has kind of a, you know, like, like, very intentionally non-Western, which I think is a great approach to a lot of these things. But, um, but also, yeah, but just, like, but it's something I've been just sort of, like, yeah, thinking about and, and, and playing within my life. So now I, now I definitely need to, like, Debbie and I need to get on this. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. I've actually been over the last like three years as a side project. I've been
1: drawing, um, not for tarot, but I guess I started doing a Lord of the Rings deck, basically, Ooh. just because I love all the characters and the um, the history that J.R.R. Yeah. Tolkien put together. So, like, the deck spans from like the creation of thing to um, the basically the end of. The Return of the King and the Rise of Man. So a lot of the stuff like it's super geeky. I'm it is really like over the top. Like one of the cards is some random like Myar character that nobody would know about. But I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is like this is great.
2: Somebody (laughs) will know about it though. Like some like I I would Claire I would one hundred percent I would I would back this on Kickstarter. Well,
1: maybe that'll be my thing when, uh, when we reach the next shutdown, I will finish it. Yeah. next dynamic project. (laughs) Exactly. No more refinishing furniture. I'm going to make a tarot deck. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Um. I forgot where we were going with this. I'm sorry. I keep we, I keep doing the thing we do at D&D where I just keep, like, talking about random things and not playing the game.
2: No, it's <laughs> so. fun. I love it. No, you, you asked me to talk about something that wasn't work, and that's how we got on tarot.
1: Okay. I love it. Um, anything else uh, that you are super excited about? Um, I love that you're becoming an Instagram witch. I think that's amazing. Because
2: <laughs> Chelsea is all about
1: that, too, right now. Yes. Um.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. Uh, uh what else is going on in my life? I well, I am um I am very slowly working on my next book. Um uh I, I wrote a book that came out in 2015 called The Rewind Files, which is a mom-daughter time travel adventure about Watergate and uh, and I've been on contract to write two sequels to it for like 5 years and it's just coming along very very slowly, but but hopefully uh, so
1: intentionally.
2: I mean, time is you know, good in some ways. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been, it's interesting. No pun intended. Been, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It, it's been, uh, we are, we are living through an extremely challenging and interesting time for, I mean, I think for writers and artists of all stripes, like, like, I think many of us are, trying to sort of figure out, like, how we, you know, how we are responsive to or sort of engaged in this weird moment in the world that we're living in in a responsible way, but also just, like, very specifically for me as somebody who's writing about, you know, America in the 22nd century with a group of time travelers who study the American presidency, and you know and 20th century and 21st century history like it's very it's like history is changing too quickly for me to be able to figure out I mean like what you know like like part of me was sort of like do I throw the whole thing out now because like like is there a 50-year pandemic you know like I don't know you know so it's just like I um part of why it has been such a challenge is, like, I had a whole concept that I pitched to the, to the publisher. He really liked it. And then the 2016 election happened and we kind of threw the whole concept out. It was like, like, I don't want yeah. to write a book about Trump, but it also feels like... Like, I think I feel a different sense of responsibility for, you know, using the platform that I have to sort of be responsive to this moment in some kind of way. And, like, what's the story that I want to tell so I think just some of it is just feeling like you know my ability to kind of process what's happening in the world has when been it so changes overwhelmed every day like yeah I can't even the, imagine trying to write a story around that and that's one of the things that's really so challenging about Twitter is like you know is that like in a, one of the things that is really good about Twitter is that it is a place where you are often getting the real information first, long before CNN shows up. You know, I mean, that was what yeah. we all really learned from Ferguson. You know, was it mm-hmm. was like, like the people on the ground with video cameras were the ones that were actually sort of like, here's what's really going on yeah. before anybody else showed up, and that's been very true of the protests this year as well. Um, so, and especially like being in Portland where this is all happening, like I want to be informed and know what's going on. Um, and there is also this feeling of, like, you know, if you go to the woods for a weekend and take a three-day Twitter hiatus, like, that little voice at the back of your head that's like, what's he doing while I'm not looking? Yes! <laughs> you know,
0: what am I going to come back to? Like, and, what crazy thing? Yeah. So, I can't yeah.
1: even imagine trying to build a plot line around the last four years And do you try and correct it? Do you just erase it? Like what's? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And again, yeah, yeah, that social responsibility of being able to um, call out the behavior that is very problematic right now, basically just just gets the point across and honors the people who you're talking about.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's very. I think the the sort of the the approach that I have. Sort of landed on that I'm, I, how I'm kind of trying to chip away at it is essentially sort of being, being as kind of oblique and non direct as possible about like the 2020s. Like I don't, I don't want it to become a book that is like about right now, but it is deeply, it's very, very much about the 1970s and it's very mm-hmm. much about um, Nixon and J. Edgar Hoover. And so kind of the angle that I'm exploring with it that I think gives me a lot of space in a sort of more allegorical way to dig into the like today right now um, is by focusing on like um, like the FBI and COINTELPRO and Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers yeah. and like, like the way that governments create enemies out of people who are not enemies. How do you craft and sort of disseminate that narrative um how do you how do you function in a world where you don't feel like you can trust the government what do people who are good people that find themselves sort of discover that the system that they're trapped in is really corrupt what Mm -hmm. do they do and how do they respond to it um and and sort of looking at it through the lens of uh the the sort of the the legacy of the nixon years i think in some ways like the first book was very much about watergate and i think the second Mm -hmm. one i want i want them all to kind of have some kind of a hook around nixon but i think the second one is really going to be more about that kind of paranoia and and the creation of like sort of using the government to create a sense of enemies you know um well and
1: it's that's that theme and that idea has been so systemic throughout all of u.s Mm -hmm. history that you can really apply Mm -hmm. it to almost any presidency which is so crazy and great for time travel but um (laughs) yeah exactly yeah Yeah. great for time travel bad for america (laughs) yeah exactly uh well i'm i'm excited to have the second book come out when you said you're working on a book I thought it was separate from this series and I was like ooh, but now I'm, I'm still excited <laughs> I was just like oh wow you're just taking it on but um yeah I uh, fully support both endeavors writing new oh, books thank you yeah <laughs> um so uh, I did have a lot more questions about uh <laughs> Watergate and how it applies to today and a recent tweet you had but I might leave that for part two of this interview when and if we do a part two um when chelsea is back because i know she had questions for you and wanted to dig deep into writing and uh your creative process and also just you know get to know you a little bit more as a person
2: i i am happy to do that i'm always i am i am thrilled to have the chance to talk on a podcast that i don't have to edit later (laughs) i've gotten
1: way into editing i i am seriously enjoying it i know that that will probably change the more i do it but i've been really enjoying it so far i've actually volunteered today to edit a podcast about um vampire movies um
2: (laughs) which i love that for you
1: yeah i'm i'm excited about it it's it's (laughs) A joy. So um, I think how I'd like to end things today is uh, asking you about your first job because we talk about the jobs we work and memorable jobs. But um, for me, my first like actual getting a paycheck job is one of my favorite memories. So
2: I would love to hear yours. Uh, so, um, so my... Well, my, my first, first job as a kid was babysitting and nannying, but I don't, but that's, but that, I feel like, but I want to, I'm less interested in talking about that because I feel like that's also just sort of like, that's everybody's first job. Like, that's like the intro
1: of the 12 year old Catholic family. Um, it's like, oh, you have a girl that's over 11? Come have her babysit Uh my kids. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
2: So, uh, but so my, so I, I did, my sister and I did tons of babysitting when we were younger and. My, I think it was the summer between my junior and senior years of high school. I nannied for a family whose, their oldest boy was in Collins class, but they also had, I think two or three younger boys. Um, And they were another Catholic like neighborhood family. And uh, so I would, the name of them all summer, liked them a lot, got along with them, with the mom really well. And so then the following year, so the summer between my senior year of high school and freshman year of college, she offered me a job, like an actual like office job working for her company. And she, so she was the like, um, I don't know what her title was, but she was essentially like the sort of the person in charge of the day-to-day of a company called, Beaver State Machinery in Southeast Portland. Okay. Um and it was her and her brother and her dad and then a random old guy who was like the salesman and they were like like they were a machinery company. I know there was a warehouse full of machinery. If you asked me what they actually did, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> like I I think that they maybe They sold- make noise. wholesale machinery like there was a guy I think his name was like Roy the sales guy um and he kind of just like came in and out um but like so what I remember was so this was this was 1999 summer 99 um so the things that I remember the most are one that I was absolutely crushingly bored out of my mind because (laughs) There was, like – like, the phone very rarely rang. No one ever came to the door. I was the receptionist. Oh. Um And, uh, and so – but, like, but the, like the receptionist for a company where very little ever happened. And so normally you'd think, like, you know, like, what a great, chill, lazy job. You can just, like, read a book or, like, play on the computer. But I was not allowed to do either of those things because they didn't have a computer at my desk. Everyone there was, like, kind of old and, like, terrified of technology. Um like there was things like, like orders would come in over email and I would have to transcribe them and type them up on a typewriter what? because that was like, they, they were like typewriter carbon people. So I would have to like process things on the typewriter. Um, that had come in electronically. And when I was like, did you know you can make shipping labels in Microsoft Word? Everybody was like, <laughs> ah, I'll burn the witch. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I and I couldn't bring a book. Um, so, I, like, I doodled a lot on Post-it notes. I would, like, rearrange, like, reorganize the office of my like, cabinet every day. But the thing, my so my keenest memory of this experience was that it was the summer of smooth by Santana um, because my my desk like backed like was like my 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 like little receptionist office um, like was adjacent to the um, the woman who was the head of it to her office and she had a radio in her office that was on on kink FM all the time of course and and smooth by Santana was like every fifth song that summer and i had nothing else to do and no other where way to like distract my brain and so so like my whole memory of this summer working at this machinery company <sighs> was just like sitting all day staring into space listening to smooth by santana going slowly insane doodling on notepads and going home and just like collapsing in boredom and my mom was always like well this is why you go to college like so that, like <laughs> so that you don't have to do this shift for the rest of your life um but uh so that so that was yeah my first so then then the next summer then I got a I got another job um the following summer but they still needed somebody else and so I was like oh Catherine you should do this it's super easy money and she oh, was like oh no. okay <laughs> And so then she did it the following so summer. Did then, she still she have a like, grudge
1: against you for that, or she was did like, she oh just God, really was... enjoy Santana?
2: <laughs> no, she. Well, I'm sure it was a different song by then. But, um, but she, you no, know, she also was like, "This is the most boring job I've ever had in my whole entire life." And I was like, "Yeah, that's correct." Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I still, I still around. I think like every once in a while, um, like I'll I'll drive down past it on Division and be like, oh there it is Um, (laughs) memories but uh, but yeah but it was uh, it was very I I, what I what I learned from that is basically that um, to be (laughs) that I would always rather be busy like I would always I think always think that it sounds more fun to be bored than to be busy and stressed but like I think I'm a person who like if I truly don't have anything to do then like like I mean, like my brain just like goes absolutely nuts. So same here. Uh, yeah, That's So why yeah, I worked so that in kitchens. My... You know. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that, I remember I I've heard many times that like the a lot of people say that the like the lowest stress job that you can have like the sort like the happiest people. Um, are working at a hair salon because like, you know, it, like you, you finish a task and then you go on to the next task and you totally leave the whole, like the thing you just did behind you. Interesting. And people are usually pretty happy to see you and things happen in like short, finite chunks and you're sort of always going. It's like, like anytime you're at work, you're doing a thing. Um, but it's rarely like a high stakes, terrifying thing. Um, and you know and like in human contact and things like that but like but there's you know you're rarely like sitting there aboard staring into space or in some kind of like emergency chaos disaster kind of mode um but it allows you to sort of like complete a task and finish it and move on to the next one in a way that is like satisfying for the human brain um which makes a lot of sense to me yeah um
1: well I might have to interview a hairstylist and get their take on it because I think um, you should yeah (laughs) well Claire thank you so much for making time for me today and um I'm gonna see you on Saturday
2: (laughs) yay thank you for having me absolutely talk to you just like have like a a non-D&D just like human person (laughs) conversation I know it. It
1: feels like we should be at a table with a cheese plate between us and a nice glass of rose. I know. One day. I know. Turn <laughs> it. Yes. Twenty twenty one.
2: Fingers crossed.
1: <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Okay. Well. Um. With that, I will do a quick wrap up on marketing later, and um, I will let you go. It was an absolute pleasure to have Claire Willett as my guest. And I'm glad she could share some of her work experience and also just her general life experience with everyone. On that note, I would like to invite anyone who wants to share their stories to write us at experiencecareerstories@gmail.com, at gmail.com. Or you can find a link on our website, experiencecareerstories. Or you can find us on Instagram at xp show. We would love to hear from you we'd love to hear about your experiences and we'd love to share them with everyone else so please feel free to write us um, also kind of head on over to apple Podcasts if you have the chance and subscribe write a review or read us it really helps us and it helps get your stories out there a little bit more and with that i'd like to ask everyone to stay safe uh support your local fire crews And uh, have the best week that you can in this big gray soup can that is 2020.
0: Love you all. Bye.